Have you ever asked yourself the question, why do men who love God with all their heart stay trapped in sexual bondage? Well, one of the most important truths you'll learn in this DVD series is the fact that sexual bondage is not primarily a moral problem, though it does have moral implications. It's primarily a brain problem. This is where the battle takes place. It's in your mind. Now, prior to the 1990s, we were under the assumption that your brain never changed. You're born with a certain number of neurons, you died with those number of neurons. But after the 1990s, we discovered neurogenesis. We discovered your brain is making new connections, giving birth to new neurons on a moment-by-moment -moment basis. Your brain's constantly changing. In this lesson, you know what? You'll learn a lot more about this battle that takes place in your mind. Gentlemen, please be seated. The Apostle Paul makes an amazing statement in 1 Corinthians 6, 18. He says, sexual sins are not like other types of sins. When you sexually sin, you sin against your own body. Now, what did he mean by that statement? That intrigued me for years. Finally, I began to understand it when I went to theological graduate school, and I discovered that the word war or warfare, stratos, only appears in the New Testament five times. And every time it's the exact same context. Second Corinthians chapter uh, 10, verses three through five. Take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And it's literally every thought sword point to the obedience of Christ. Now, where is the battle zone there? Where is the battle going on? In your brain, in your mind. You go through every single one of those passages that are referred to. Classic is James chapter 4, verse 1. War against the flesh. What's the flesh? This is the skin over your bones. Only one time in the New Testament is that the way flesh is used. All the other times is primarily referring to a selfish orientation, living from your limbic system. See, the battle is in your brain. Now, some of you may be asking, well, wait a minute, wait, wait a minute. You were, you were talking about sexual bondage. Is sexual bondage... Uh, is, is, is it a sin or is it bondage? I mean, which is it? The answer to the question is yes. James chapter 1, verse 14 puts it so well. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desires he's dragged away and enticed. Now, that word enticed is really powerful. It's a word picture that James uses. It's a baited hook. In other words, God says, don't go here, and the enemy is going to get a hook in your soul. So this starts off as a moral decision. Don't go there. I'm going to ignore what God says. There's a baited hook that's set in your soul. Amen. But notice what happens next. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to what? Sin. Gives birth to what? Sin. Sin. And now it's a predetermined, pre-programmed pattern in your soul. So the enemy's pushing buttons that have been preset already. Now notice it even goes much deeper. And sin, when it's fully grown, gives birth to what? Death. Death. Now the guy is doing behavior that absolutely violates his core beliefs. And it's not uncommon for me to counsel a pastor who pastors 15, 20,000 people, preach sermons that'll drop you to your knees, and he goes out and visits prostitutes afterwards. How can someone do that? You have to understand the brain. You have to understand what's going on. You know, I've heard the question once, I've heard it a thousand times. How can a man who loves the Lord and serves him be hooked on porn and cheat on his wife? Well, one such man that I counseled was a senior pastor 
of a church of over 10,000 members. He was at the top of his game when his world came suddenly crashing down in one day. Here's my friend and fellow warrior, James Craft. I was a pastor of a church in Hawaii, very involved with our denomination and leadership. We have three beautiful daughters and we lived in paradise. There was some pride in there thinking we've got to be perfect. And I didn't even know that James was struggling um, in the areas that he was. Addiction to pornography and an affair. And I felt like I was a Coke bottle that was being shook for 25 years. And I was trying to contain these secrets and I couldn't any longer. And the pressure and everything just exploded. I was there in the office that day and I'd always check because I'm the one who had the affair and I was trying to maintain that world that I left back in the mainland uh, to make sure that it wouldn't implode on me or it ruined my world because I thought I would just take all these secrets to my grave. I was so trying to control my life. God says, you're out of control and I'm gonna expose this, James. And I remember all of a sudden something in my heart triggered that I've been exposed. No one had to tell me that. No one came and told me or talked to me about it. I knew that I, all my lies, all my secrets were now exposed before all. So I went to a, a friend who was our pa one of our pa pastors on staff and I just said, I can't live this life anymore. And he goes, I already know, James. I already know and so do all the denominational leaders. Uh, they all were talking about it. And at that point, I felt like, what in the world have I done? I immediately got in my car because I knew that I had to go home and confess to my wife of 20 years. I found myself on the receiving end of a confession from my husband of an affair. Not only did it mean that my heart had been ripped out, everything was a lie, but everything, ministry, everything was gone. My life is over. I had no shoes on my feet, and I sprinted out of the house I literally was trying to outrun the pain. having to confess my sin to my three daughters. It was one of the most heart-wrenching experiences because I wanted to be a man that my daughters are obviously proud of, but it went even deeper. I wanted them to really experience the love of the Father, and I was not representing that well. 
it was important for that to take place because the healing process wasn't just for me, it wasn't just for Terry, it wasn't just for us, it was for our family. And the enemy wanted to derail the whole Kraft family, not just James and not just Terry or our marriage. And so this was a healing moment that God started through great pain and, and anguish. And I remember my girls came in and hugged me, even in my failure. And there was a lot of hurt, there was a lot of pain, a lot of anger that day. Um, and rightly so, but there was God's grace in the middle of it. We couldn't even describe it that day. But as we look back at it, we saw God's grace and His hand of comfort on our lives. So we found ourselves having to um, move. We packed our boxes and uh, I found myself that day amidst all of our stuff in paradise. And this is where I thought we were gonna we were gonna grow old, and um, it was my dreams washed, completely washed away. I thought at first that he was gonna restore what I wanted him to restore. I wanted him to restore these specific things, maybe title or prestige or, or the, the comfort of, of our monetary state. But what he wanted to restore was so much deeper. Mm-hmm. What he wanted to restore was, was the places in my life and James's life that had been broken we put our entire life into this with some great counselors and some wonderful pastors and some very safe and close friends. We got into some great support groups. We were understanding why some of these things had happened and then allowing the Lord to rebuild. Conquer series brought all that out in me, understanding what was going on with my mind, what was going on with my life and my relationships and the impact it had. He then asked us to extend our hands out in grace to others around us. There are people broken and they're wounded and they're hurt. They've lost hope, they've lost joy, they've lost everything in life and they're wandering around and God's saying, James and Terry, extend out as you stay connected with me. Now we're reaching out to others and saying, come on, experience God's grace with us. And that grace is sufficient for us. The brain is such a pivotal thing to understand. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 says, to flee sexual immorality. All of the sins are outside of a man's body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Because when I was in Bible school, I was struggling with sexual addiction. Okay, now being a sex addict in Bible college, now that's a real bummer, okay? But I would ask my professors, what does this mean? My theology professors couldn't answer. My philosophy professors couldn't answer. I've had to do a lot of research over the years. And what I found out about the brain answers the question of that scripture. See, when we have a sexual experience, whether it's with another person or with ourselves or with fantasy, it doesn't matter. When you have a sexual release, what happens to your brain is you get the highest level of endorphins and enkephalins. Your brain makes these opiates, which is about four times stronger than morphine. Boom, it hits your brain, your brain just lights up like a Christmas tree, and this is the highest chemical reward your brain gets for anything. That is why a lot of guys get in trouble, even in ministry. They don't know their brain is defective, and they keep drinking that stuff in and gluing to lust. Then lust creates sin and sin creates death. So it is very important to understand the power of the sexual brain. Sexual sin is sin against his own body. It wraps up our mind, it wraps up our eyes, and eventually wraps up our physical body as well. The first thing that happens is we are tempted. That's like 
the first glance. I mean, if you see something inappropriate, you can't help the first glance most times. The second one is the one that you can help. Whatever attracts and holds your attention will eventually control the direction of your life. So what we're looking at then is, is the things that come through the eye gate, the things that capture our heart will eventually control the direction of our lives. Even if in our brain we say, try and do this right thing, whatever captures our heart will eventually lead us the direction. I did my undergraduate work in astrophysics and math. And I used to think the most profound thing in the world were pulsars, quasars, galaxies. No, the most profound thing in the world is your brain. It is composed of over 100 billion neurons. 100 billion, that's as many stars as are in the Milky Way galaxy. Now, your brain only composes 2% of your body mass, but it uses 20% of your energy. It's an energy hog. And it has a consistency of butter at room temperature. So when you were a junior high kid doing headbutts with other guys, it didn't make you a genius, okay? It really messes up your brain. But that's not what your brain is, just the neurons. It's a connection between those neurons. Each neuron has upwards of 10,000 connections with other neurons, synaptic connections. So just do the math. 100 billion times 10,000, that means there's more neurological connections in your brain than there are stars in the entire universe. But that's not your brain. Now there's some analogies that people use, your brain is like a computer, zero, one. That's ridiculous. The brain analogy of a computer doesn't make a bit of sense because it's either on or off, it's a binary code. Your brain is so much more complex than that. Here's a neuron in at the above, a neuron below, and that gap between the two is called the synapse. Now notice there's little globules going back and forth. Those are neurotransmitters. We discovered over 50 different neurotransmitters. So it's not just zero one, it's 50 combinations and permutations at least, and there's many more. But there's not just one synapse, there's innumerable synapses that are firing. But that's not what a thought is. Here's your thoughts. This is what your thought looks like. Neurons that fire together, wire together. What is this thought? For those guys who are married, this is probably the first time you saw your wife. Whoa, what a foxy looking lady, look at that gal. And she's looking back at you very shortly, and what does she say? Quite simply, she goes, oh, not so bad yourself. That's what a thought is like. The brain molds, and the way that happens is the brain has brain cells that hook up to other brain cells through what's called synapses. Well, when those, those synapses are being used a lot, they, they strengthen and they grow. You can actually even see a part of the brain committed to say the fingers of a violinist, that part of the brain being thicker, they can see that on imaging. Well, we know the same thing happens if somebody starts looking at pornography, that part of the brain gets a flurid, a, a whole bunch of synapses developing. And so the brain is molding in response to that pornography or, or in response to that sexual behavior. And so what someone's doing if they're getting counseling is they're remolding their brain. And the brain can continue molding until, until death. In any type of destructive behavior in which we engage, it's kind of like walking in a path through the field. You walk that path over and over again, it gets beaten down and it's easy to find that path and it's easy to go down that path or that trail. And, and any type of behavior, whether it's an addictive behavior or just a habit pattern, um, we will create trails in our brain that are just gonna fire on an automatic sequence. And when you start immediately seeing pornography, certain cells start to fire. It develops a pathway through your brain.
Let me introduce you to Fred. I've had to take so many neuroscience classes, I had to buy my own brain. <laughs> now your brain has three basic areas, real simply. This is the cortex, this is the outer shell. This is the prefrontal cortex, this peach area. It's not fully developed till you're 25. That's why they don't let you rent cars till you're 26, because your accident rate is six times the adult rate. See, your prefrontal cortex is your impulse control, your executive reasoning. Your brain makes about five trillion decisions per second. And so most of what you make your decisions about, you don't make decisions at the conscious level, it's the unconscious level. But here's where prefrontal cortex is overpowered. This is your limbic system in the inside. This is your survival system. It identifies areas where you either really, really are interested in experience or don't want to experience. For example, have you ever had the experience of walking through uh, the woods and all of a sudden you see a snake and you jump back? You didn't even think about it, you just jump back. And then you look at it closer, it's a tree branch. You're going, dummy. Well, what happened is your limbic system doesn't bother to inform the prefrontal part of your cortex. The higher reasoning, it just says, run, forest, run. Bang, it just takes off. And your prefrontal cortex looks and goes, wait a minute, it's a tree branch. Your higher reasoning power is your cortex. It's literally, in the Greek, it means your bark. It's only 2.4 millimeters thick, as thick as six business cards. That's where all your higher reasoning takes place. But where sexual bondage takes place is usually in your limbic system. You know, we've said many times that battle is in your brain. But sexual bondage, the battle is in your brain because there's an imbalance in your brain. An imbalance between the prefrontal cortex, which is right here, and the limbic system, which is deep in your brain. The limbic system can be far more powerful than the prefrontal cortex. Because when something triggers you in your limbic system, say something that you're afraid of or you'll fight over, your prefrontal cortex will be overpowered. Or when there's something that you're really desiring and interested in, like sexual acting out, it'll overpower your prefrontal cortex as well. Remember the stick and snake illustration I use? Classic example of fight or flight symptom. But when we're talking about sexual bondage, we're talking about reprogramming the limbic system. That's where freedom is found. Wouldn't it be nice if we could just plug our brain into a computer and reprogram it? Well, it's just not that easy. It's a process. Any man in sexual bondage can try as hard as he wants, but he won't succeed because it's a brain problem. Trying to defeat his addiction alone is like trying to do brain surgery on himself. He first needs to understand how the brain works. The prefrontal cortex is his brakes. That's where he makes moral decisions. That's where he says, whoa, Charlie, I should be looking at her lustfully. But there's an even more powerful part of the brain, the limbic system, which is his gas pedal. It's where he acts on impulse. It tells him, woo-wee, yo, check her out. The limbic system will overpower the prefrontal cortex every single time. It's where bondage takes place. He's dealing with a stronghold, and that stronghold is a noose around his neck. Let's take a look at the components of the noose. The root of bondage are wounds, trauma, or exposure to sexual influences. This is the opening where Satan digs his hook into a man's soul. The mindset of shame is the identity of the addict. After continuously watching porn and acting out, he no longer just feels shameful. He's put on an identity of shame and can't receive God's grace without feeling he has to work hard to deserve it. The addictive lifestyle of binging and purging is the cycle of acting out and repenting. He has to keep numbing the pain from the shame he feels. 
Finally, the cloak of denial. As a massive cover-up, this man is now completely isolated and is a slave to lust. Trying to treat a brain problem with a moral solution only tightens the noose of bondage. It only pushes him deeper into shame the next time he falls. It tells him that his righteousness is not based on the cross, but on his works. The way to cut the noose is to first understand what it is. Then you'll be able to renew your mind, and that takes time and effort. Once you recognize the noose in your life, you'll finally realize why trying harder doesn't work. The battle happens inside the human brain, which for most people weighs about three pounds. The highest faculties we have are our ability to reason and our conscience. Together they form what's known as judgment. This would correspond to the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex where we reason, and together this frontal area of our brain is where we reason, plan, organize, make uh, moral decisions, ethical decisions, self-restrain, self-govern. And then the next faculty that I understand in our minds are simply the thoughts that we think, um, and it can, and including the beliefs that we hold, and these are formed in the, cort the higher cortex. The prefrontal cortex is basically the braking system of the brain. It's not fully developed until mid-20s, so in that time when we're learning the most about sex, it's the most intense and wonderful experience we've ever had. We don't have the physical wiring to say, wait a minute, you need to take a break here. The lowest or the last portion of the brain as God designed would be the emotions or feelings that we have, which are part of the limbic system. Deep into the brain, there's a part of the brain called the amygdala. This is a fear circuit of the brain. And the amygdala connected with uh, another deep structure, and this really kind of down a little bit inside here, called the nucleus accumbens, okay, where you taste good food and you really like it, oh, that's good, it's a nucleus accumbens. You fall in love and you're walking on air, nucleus accumbens. You have an orgasm, nucleus accumbens. Okay, pleasure registers here. These two amygdala, uh, which is alertness and fear and pleasure, together uh, and a, with a couple other brain regions, uh, make up what's called our salience network. Salience, relevance, what's important, remember that, pay attention. Now, think about the, the purpose here. The limbic system gives value to life's experiences. Value as in that's really good, that's something uh, pleasurable, that's something that, that I wanna pay attention to. Value in, hey, that that's makes me sick, I don't ever eat that again. A value as in, uh, that's dangerous, watch out for that, be prepared. As this value is attached, it gives it an emotional attachment and locks it into memory. Some people will talk about an emotional memory. Okay, instead of just a cognitive memory, a fact memory, there's an emotional memory. This happens through your limbic system so that certain events can trigger certain emotions because of previous experience. This is how many addictions happen. When people get addictions of any kind, what happens is they actually develop an emotional attachment to their substance. And that substance will have patterns of behavior associated with that substance or behavior like you know pornography they do it in a certain place with a certain computer a uh, certain time of day um, or cocaine they roll up $20 bills and snort through or whatever there's there's things associated with it and then when they see those associated things like the $20 bill they'll start having these very intense cravings or desire or emotions because your salience network has associated now these things with that pleasure those triggers will actually activate your emotion network to say hey uh, get 
hey, wake up. There's something really good about to happen. And then there's a craving or desire that happens. And it also then activates um, the, the drive center of your motor cortex called the striatum, where you actually start getting inertia or energy to start going to move to get this thing. It's actually changes in the, in the inertia center of your motor cortex that happens from addiction as well. The other piece that the brain functions in is learning. And when we learn, the brain changes. Neurons or brain cells connect differently. They make more connections or they break connections. They intensify the chemicals with which the neurons connect. When we're dealing with something as intense as pornography, the message to the brain is essentially magically overwhelming because to become engaged in the pornography, I have selected the content, the behavior, the actors, all of the information is perfect for me and I'm in absolute control, which is a happy place for the brain. That involves dopamine and the pleasure center of the brain. When dopamine is involved, it changes how we remember. Things that are intensely pleasurable, frightening, any of the things that come from that area of the brain go into our long-term memory without much further processing. So they become basically written in stone as a memory. Men can get caught up in, in that noose that Ted talks about because um, neurochemically they're attached. I want to share with you a tool that really helped me in my recovery process. It's called the faster scale. The faster scale is a relapse awareness scale that can help guys predict a relapse up to two weeks before it actually happens. When you review the scale at the end of each week, you'll start seeing a very clear pattern. You'll start to understand why you relapse over and over again in the past. This isn't just about becoming in tune with your feelings, it's about developing emotional intelligence. The F stands for forgetting priorities. Here, you're starting to believe your present circumstances and you start moving away from trusting God. You're falling back into denial. You're, you're starting to avoid stuff and, and your priorities are starting to change. This can lead to the A, which is anxiety. You become fearful and anxious and you're getting energy from emotions in life. Notice the further you drop down the scale, the more limbic or emotionally reactive you become which then leads to S, speeding up. Well, now you're trying to outrun the anxiety, which is the first sign of depression in your life, which then leads you to T. Now you're ticked off. You're getting an adrenaline high from the anger and aggression. This leads to the E, which is exhausted. You've come off that adrenaline high, and now you're on the onset of depression. You've lost physical and emotional energy, and finally, it leads you into the R, which is the relapse. You're acting out. You return to the place you swore you would never return to. As I started to use the faster scale, I saw how it led me through each stage of the acronym, ultimately leading me into relapse. Each time you find yourself relapsing, you will have gone through the entire faster scale. So becoming present and processing how you're feeling throughout the day will prevent you from dropping down the faster scale to a relapse. This is vital for you to win this battle and to have freedom in your life.
Well, how does the brain get hijacked? Well, guess what? In 2005, Discovery Magazine said one of the most significant things that's been revealed scientifically in the last 25 years is the endogenous reward cycle. Would you translate that for me? I'll be happy to. Your inner reward cycle. Your brain will find out what it really enjoys and will identify it and medicate pain that way. And what happens is the nucleus accumbens sends a signal which comes from the inner limbic system up to the prefrontal cortex and fires dopamine into that prefrontal cortex. So it feels really good. When you have a climax, it feels really, really good. Well, guess how powerful dopamine is? They took some laboratory rats and they probed, uh, put a probe down in their brain and they set it up so that whenever they pushed this level, dopamine was released in their brain. 100% of the rats overdosed. They had food there, they had water there, they had an available female rat. 100% of the time they kept pushing it until they died. That's how powerful dopamine is. That's why bondage can be so significant. But dopamine's not all bad. How do they hit a baseball? Well, you can't see it all the way in. What happens, it comes so fast that you sense as it releases from the pitcher's hand, it's gonna be a good pitch and you start your swing there. It's a dopamine cycle. How does Tom Brady fade back and in four or five seconds read the defense and then throw? It's a dopamine cycle. So it's not all bad. The problem is when you have woundedness, hell takes your brain captive for you. God built us to experience pleasure. But that pleasure is a consequence of healthy actions and decisions. Have you ever struggled with a, a math problem and then the light went off? And, and, you, and, and you have the answer, was there a, a, a pleasurable feeling with that? That was actually dopamine in the nucleus accumbens, activated from the prefrontal cortex down as the answer came, truth was realized. Wow, that felt good. That's a God-designed activation of your pleasure. It's supposed to feel good with new discovery. That's the way it's designed. If you've just uh, run five miles and you get a runner's high uh, and you feel good after that, it's supposed to feel good with proper exercise. Dopamine actually works in several brain regions. In the prefrontal cortex, dopamine is important for attention, focus, concentration, motivation. So we are designed for pleasure, but it's top down activation of the pleasure circuits. Addictions decouple the higher cortical functions. When we do that, either through things like pornography, which is an artificial, not God-designed way to activate your pleasure centers, this actually does uh, surge dopamine into the pleasure circuits in a very similar way as drugs do, and it will actually cause alteration of gene expression in these areas of the brain and damage these areas of the brain. So that over the course of time, as you do this, um, the, the dopamine circuits of the brain become less and less responsive to normal pleasure. So godly pleasure is no longer pleasurable. I'll give you a simple example. Uh, if you're really starving, ravenous, hungry, and there's a fresh bowl of perfectly ripe strawberries on the table, how would those taste? Oh, you taste one of this, and you get pleasure. It tastes sweet, it's good. That's activation of your nucleus accumbens. You're getting dopamine surges, it tastes good. How about we look at that same bowl of strawberries just after you finish your last bite of a Snickers bar? Oh, suddenly that doesn't taste so good. In fact, maybe it's a little bitter or sour and you don't want one. But have the strawberries actually changed in their concentration of fructose? the sugar that's in strawberries? No, they're the same. What's changed is you've artificially overstimulated your taste receptors with a high concentration of man-made sugar product because you can't go out and pick a Snickers bar off a tree. Okay, and after you eat this product, the things that God designed to bring us pleasure suddenly aren't pleasurable anymore. One of the hardest skills to learn for a man coming out of sexual bondage is becoming present. 
When I was a fighter pilot, understanding where and how the enemy operated was crucial to my survival. Without this situational awareness, I would have been killed many times. But God doesn't want you just to survive. He wants you to become more than a conqueror through Christ. That's why it's so important for you to understand that the battle is not about sinning less, but it's about healing and renewing your mind. Your mission for this week is to increase your awareness and how the enemy sets you up for the kill. You've been introduced to the faster scale. This week, I want you to use this incredibly powerful tool to gain total situational awareness. The faster scale will help you foresee a relapse, not be so easily blindsided by hell. So you've got four things to do this week. Number one, the faster scale. Number two, journal your battle each day. Get the conquered journal to help you do this. Number three, call each man in your group. Number four, prepare for the battle each night this week. There's still a long way to go, but if you're doing this exercise, you're on the right path. If you're not, you know what? You're just wasting your time. Come on, get in the fight.